Follow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Hey, just a quick program note. Um, we, this is, we've got three weeks left in this building. And, and after that, we're moving to our new offices downtown and I think in recognition of the three weeks left, we've got some gremlins going on. We've been having problems with our phone lines for the last couple of days, and we we have one, maybe maybe two working phone lines. Normally, we have a lot more. So, the if if we do call in topics, I'd ask you to be a little bit patient because again, we're we're just very very limited, and we're, our ace engineering staff is going to try to do something to jury rig things tonight, and and maybe it'll work. But otherwise, again, we're kind of in the last stages of of moving to the new facility. And as a result, it's probably pretty good because it seems like everything is kind of just sort of dying around here. But we will we will endeavor and get through it. I just ask for a little bit of your patience here. All right. Did you hear Joe Biden came to Milwaukee yesterday and, and addressed a, a labor fest crowd that I am told was was surprisingly light? Um, now, you don't hear a lot of coverage about that, but it's not like Biden drew thousands and thousands of, of adoring fans. I mean, it was. There, there were people there, but it wasn't a huge attended uh, event by, I, I guess, presidential visit standards at a place like that. But regardless, he came out and he made a number of comments, including some things about Ron Johnson, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he started talking about crime in Milwaukee, and he said, hey, we're, we're crime crime is under control around here. He said crime is improving because we, we've got money for, for streetlights. And, and things like that. And I, I was listening to some of these remarks and I'm going, money for streetlights, crime, but, but more importantly, crime is improving. What, what is he talking uh, about? Did you hear also that, um, Governor Tony Evers was on the stage with him? I, I always thought it was Evers, but according to the president, it's, it's Tony Evers. In any event, Biden's talking about crime. And I, I wonder, does, does nobody brief him about the stuff that's going on? Story on today's TMJ4. 19-year-old woman carjacked, sexually assaulted in Milwaukee, speaks out to find attackers. All right, here's the the story as reported on today's TMJ4. A 19-year-old woman who didn't want to be shown on camera says she's thankful to be alive. She recounts driving to her cousin's house Saturday night when she noticed a car following her. I was speeding up from them to not hit my bumper and they started speeding up with me, says the woman who's using only her first name. She says that the car who was trailing her eventually cornered her and a man wearing a ski mask pulled out a gun, shot through her driver's side window and forced her out of the car and into his. Another man got inside of her car and drove off. He put me in the back seat and he starts driving fast. When I look out the rear window, I see my car leaving. I start crying and pleading for him to let me out. That's when she says the man dragged her out of the car and forced her into an abandoned home off North 64th and Nash, where he says she sexually assaulted her. What was going through your mind? The TMJ4 reporter asked. She says that I was about to die. 
Yeah, you can understand that. I lifted the window. I broke out the screen. I jumped out. I got out. I ran. I just kept running and running and running. Now she's asking the community to keep an eye out for the car that she was driving before she was carjacked. And if you know anything about the attack, to say something. I'm tired of being paranoid, looking out windows, covering windows all the time. Maybe they did this to somebody else and they can get caught for it. Milwaukee police say they continue to, what is the phrase, seek unknown suspects at that time. So you have a woman just driving her car by herself, forced off of the road, and at least according to her story, she is carjacked, and then she is raped by somebody, and of course, unknown suspects, but it's just, uh, you know, we, we've got crime under control. And then we come to the story that I want to start today's program off with, because it is one of the recurring themes on this program, and the incredible frustration that I have with a court system that continues to screw it up. And and it really, in this case, which I think <clears throat> I get a little bit disturbing, is that the judge who got this one really wrong tends to be one of the better, more law and order judges. But if, if he's getting it wrong, you can imagine what happens on a daily basis. All right, here is the headline in the local newspaper. Homicide suspect Ernest Blackney, B-L-A-K-N-E-Y, died in a shootout with police following a car chase that ended in downtown Milwaukee. Okay, so this happened Friday night, Saturday morning. A 47-year-old man suspected in a homicide late Friday led Milwaukee police on a car chase from the south side to downtown. And when his vehicle became disabled in the busy bar district down by Water Street, he exited the car and opened fire on officers. The return fire from officers killed him. Um, Milwaukee police, uh, the medical examiner's office Saturday confirmed the suspect was Ernest Terrell Blackney, keep this in mind, who police had been searching for since August 25th as the suspect in the killing of his girlfriend. So what what you have, and then it goes on to say, a bystander, a 22-year-old woman from Hudson, was also shot in the crossfire and was taken to an area hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Okay, so here here is the deal. Last week, Blackney was charged with six felonies in connection with the August 25th death of his partner. A criminal complaint filed in the homicide case alleged Blackney shot Nakia T. Rogers on the morning of August 25th, hours after she told a friend she planned to leave him and move her things out of his house. After allegedly setting the house on fire and fleeing, Blackney was later seen that day at a construction site eight miles north of the homicide scene. The criminal complaint says he robbed a construction worker of his vehicle at gunpoint. Blackney forced the worker into a trailer, locked him inside, according to the complaint. Worker eventually escaped, told police there was a gun inside the truck that was stolen. So Okay, so let, let's review the bidding here. And by the way, I've got a couple links to some information about this. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Okay, so here's, here's the deal. You have this guy on August 25th who murders his girlfriend, sets the place on fire to conceal the murder, goes to a construction site, kidnaps a guy, locks him up, steals his vehicle, has, has a gun. Okay, so that that's all that's all well and good. And then in Walker's Point, around eleven o'clock Friday night, twenty two hundred block of West National, the officers see him. 
All right, this is the guy that we think killed his girlfriend. They start to chase him. He jumps in the car, takes off like a bat out of you know where. Maybe you've seen some of the clips of this because there were people, you know, who you know were, were filming this. The chase ends in the bar district around the hundred block of East Juno Avenue. Um, so it's kind of the Water Street area. Once the vehicle was disabled, he gets out of the vehicle, begins opening fire. Officers shoot back and they kill him. All right, so you you've got the the backdrop of of this so all right just you know another night another friday night you know in the gun battle breaks out in milwaukee but but here's the dazzling detail to this story and it's it's the real kind of troubling thing that is that is out there now as i first tweeted out before we knew who this guy was my guess was, and I did this Saturday morning before they announced it, I said, you know, what are the odds that the now-deceased homicide suspect who got in the gun battle with police following high-speed chase had a lengthy criminal record? Well, then it turns out that it's not just a lengthy criminal record, but there is this OMG moment because the man responsible for this, Ernest Blackney, he... um Yes, he, he was a felon for, like, drug dealing going back for for a while. But the dazzling detail is, last year he was charged, and I've got a link to his criminal record, last year he was charged with sexual assault of a child, which is a, a felony. He pled guilty to that in, like, early summer. He was released, before he pled guilty to that, he was released on a $5,000 cash Bond, And I don't even want to talk about whether that was appropriate at the time, but he pled guilty. Once you plead guilty, there is no longer a presumption of of innocence. You know, to the extent that there's an argument for bail and serious felonies, it would be, well, sometimes maybe they've got the wrong person. Maybe something happens. There's a presumption of innocence. Once you plead guilty, there is no longer a presumption of innocence that is attached to this, right? The district attorney's office, following the guilty plea for second-degree sexual assault of a child, sought to remand him. That's the legal term for, okay, let's lock him up pending sentencing. The the idea being, hey, he's going to be going to prison. You know, why continue to allow this bail to stay in place? Lock him up. Moreover, once he's pled guilty, and you know he's probably going to be going to prison for a little while, he's got a greater incentive to flee. So lock him up. The DA's office tried to remand him. Unfortunately, the Milwaukee County Circuit judge in this case, David Borowski, who's called this program on a number of occasions, refused to lock the guy up after his guilty plea and instead continued his $5,000 bail allowing him to stay on the street, but cautioned him, keep in mind, you're a convicted felon, you're not allowed to have guns, and by the way, you're not allowed to have contact with various people. Well, you know what good that was, because after being released on continued bail, after his guilty plea, we now know he killed his girlfriend, kidnapped another guy, abducted another guy, stole the car, engaged in a gun battle in downtown Milwaukee, which led to an innocent bystander being shot. And we don't know if he shot him or she was shot by the police. We, we don't know that detail yet. But nevertheless, you know, she was shot by a guy who should have been in prison, period. No ifs, 
no ands, no buts. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, again, part of the problem where people are continue to be allowed to be on bail. And in this case, it is even more aggravating since it wasn't before, he had already been convicted. The, it's not a situation where, okay, maybe he's got a defense to the charge or something like that. He had pled guilty. He had been convicted. He was a convicted felon who subsequently commits second-degree assault of a child. The DA's office, and I'm very critical of the DA's office from time to time, they tried to have him locked up. And the judge refused to do it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the problem with all this. It is clear that judges just still do not get it. And it is apparent to me that what the legislature needs to do is simply take away their discretion to continue bail after somebody has been convicted. Now, if it was up to me, I, I think... You know, I, I think the whole bail laws need to be reformed. But once you have been convicted of a crime of violence, there is no excuse at all for judges, in my opinion, to allow people to remain free on bail. And if the judges don't have the common sense to lock people up for doing it, maybe what we need is the legislature to step in and say, you no longer have that authority. The law is that, boom. Once you are convicted of various types of crimes, and I'm not saying it necessarily needs to be every type of crime, because there might be situations where you don't go to jail, but if it is a crime of violence, and if you are a prior, have a prior record, yeah, maybe the law needs to be changed to say that you will be locked up to keep people in jail. If we would have kept this guy in jail, one person would be alive today, the woman on Water Street would not have been shot, the guy wouldn't have been kidnapped, and all would be right with the world. 855-616-1620, we discuss. And again, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to the underlying case, Ernest Terrell Blackney. He was charged on October 20th of last year with second-degree sexual assault of, of a child, of a child. On August 5th, and he was released on a $5,000 bail, all right? And now, he was, by the way, had a prior felony conviction before that, but I don't want to talk about the appropriateness of the initial $5,000 bail. But here's the deal. On August 15th, he was convicted. He pled guilty to sexual assault of a child. The district attorney's office try to remand him. Hey, he's now been found guilty. The presumption of innocence is going to lock him up. The judge in this case, David Borowski, who normally gets stuff right, refused to remand him, allowed him out on bail to the bail to continue, but reminded him that as a convicted felon, he may never possess a firearm. (laughs) Well, okay. Ten days later, ten days later, he kills his live-in girlfriend and then steals a car, steals a gun, leads police on a high-speed chase that ends up in this shootout on in the Water Street bar area on Friday night. If the judge would have done the right thing, that is, lock him up following the conviction, none of this would have happened. And yet we have another example of let's bend over backwards to try to, I, I don't know, allow dangerous people out on the street. Um, to just, again, in this case, it, it's the 
carnage. Jeff, I remember, and here's the number of our texts. Jeff, I remember reading about this Saturday morning and thinking to myself, this is absolutely crazy. Why is the guy out on the street after being convicted on sexual assault of a minor? I think that's a pretty serious offense to have a guy locked up for a while, but I guess not. Shaking my head. Yeah, I'm shaking my head as well. And again, keep in mind, this isn't wasn't his first time at the rodeo as well. And if we would have done, in this case, what the district attorney's office asked the judge to do, which is lock the guy up, somebody would be alive today. Jeff, if I was a member of the family, I would certainly try to sue the judge. Well, you can't, you're not going to be able to do that. But this is the problem we have over and over and over again. And I really, I would guess I was a little bit surprised because this particular judge tends to be one of the, what I would describe, more law and order judges on the Milwaukee County Circuit bench. But this shows how how people just continue to get this wrong by bending over backwards to release and continue to allow dangerous people to be out on the street. Um, Jeff, if you're going to eliminate bail, it should be for every crime. Why should someone who gets into a late-night bar fight sit in jail for months while an embezzler walks around free? Well, what I said is that from the perspective of, in this case, it was bail after the guy was convicted. Not everybody is going to go to prison if they're convicted of of a charge. And that's why, in this particular case, somebody who, with this guy's record, who's convicted of second-degree sexual assault of a child, he's going to go to prison. And if he's not going to prison, that's going to raise another question. So why do you delay allowing him to go to prison? Why I wouldn't be in favor of revoking bail for everybody is it's, it's in many cases, like I say, maybe it's a first offense, white collar offender who's not going to go to prison, who's not a danger, who's not a flight risk. But in a situation like this, clearly the guy was going to end up having to be gone, go to jail. Jeff, I think the judge needs to be charged. Well, that, that's there. This is the problem, though, that that's not going to happen. But you have a system where there is very, very little accountability for charging decisions that are made by the district attorney's office, and that's not the fault here, or dispositions, you know, by the court system. Um, Jeff, I think there's two major problems with courts in most urban areas. One, the assumption that crime by juveniles, no matter how frequent or heinous, is trivial and should mostly be ignored. I, I think there's an element to that, you know, as as well. And, Jeff, I, I think also that there is an issue that sometimes we, we don't charge people because we're concerned that we're charging too many of this or that type of person. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And I don't know that there is an element of that as well, but definitely I agree with the juvenile thing. Jeff, how do these judges sleep at night? You know, look at what this one judge is responsible for. I'm shaking my head. All I know is if I was a circuit court judge, and this is probably one of the reasons why I would never have been elected to circuit court bench, I, I wouldn't take the chance. If I've got somebody in front of me who has been convicted of, and this isn't even, like I say, pretrial, who has been convicted of a serious offense, a crime of violence, and I would define, again, second-degree sexual assault of a child as, as a crime of violence who has a prior felony record. No way in God's green earth that I'm letting them out on the street. I, I'm just not. And in this particular case, if we had done what the DA's office asked for, somebody would be alive today. Frustrating. It gets worse. A couple of our texters remind me, and I think I said that in the introduction to the thing, but in addition to killing his girlfriend after being convicted of 
sexual assault of a second degree sexual assault of a child and being allowed to remain on the street. In addition to killing his girlfriend, he also then burned down her house in order to try to conceal the crime. Yep, that just another just another day on the mean streets of Milwaukee with criminals who are turned loose again and again. Got an interesting story about that coming up. The gunslinger is back where he belongs. Catch Brett Favre with Jen, Gabe, and Chewy Monday mornings at 7.30 on 94.5 ESPN and again at 5.15 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ, presented by Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin and sponsored by Concordia University of Wisconsin and Island Resort and Casino. Yes, the uh, first weekend of football, professional football, kicks off. Well, I guess it starts Thursday and the uh, green and gold play Sunday afternoon at Minnesota. Hopefully they'll get off to a good start. Hey, I want to update you on something I mentioned the other day. The last time Marquette University Law School came out with, with a poll, it showed that Tony Evers, Evers, I, I mean, I think the name is Evers, but President Biden, when he was here yesterday, was calling him Tony Evers. But Tony Evers, Evers, you know, you know, you say potato, I say potato. Um, he and Tim Michaels were locked pretty much in a head-to-head thing. I think the margin might have been two points, but that was within the margin of error. It is a very, very, very close race. The thing that struck me about the poll was that there was a third candidate. Her name was Joan Beglinger who was running as an independent. And the way it works in Wisconsin is if, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, uh, you, you have to go through a primary process, you know, to, to get on, on the ballot. And the winner of the primary, like Tim Michaels beat uh, Becky Clayfish, so you know he's the Republican nominee. If, on the other hand, you want to run as an independent, no party affiliation, all you need to do is obtain 2,000 valid signatures and you automatically get on the ballot so that's what she had done she had gotten on the ballot and was pulling and i guess i found it difficult to believe because i said i i had never heard of her and then somebody said well i, I we, we had sent you the, this press release you know months ago that she was going to get in the campaign and you know and i thought that doesn't doesn't change the fact that i get all sorts of press releases and it didn't register i was also very skeptical as to how could she draw seven percent then once i started looking into it uh joan beglander was was very very conservative if you if you looked at her website and her positions on issues, I, I didn't see any real difference between where she was and where Tim Michaels was. And, and so, I mean, I'm thinking or if if there really are 7% of the voters out there who were going to vote for Joan, Joan Beglinger, a, a good portion of those, if she wasn't on the ballot, a good portion of those would would, would seem to be naturally just flow to, to Tim Michaels because she was, again, kind of a mirror image in, in most respects to where he was. And so we even talked about this on the radio at one point in time. I was saying, hey, look, is, is this a is she a spoiler for Tony Evers? I know it's Evers. I'm just mocking Biden for what he did. But is it, you know, is she a spoiler? Just like in 1992, you had George Bush running against Bill Clinton and you had Ross Perot, who was the third party candidate. And I think it's very clear for people who remember history. Ross Perot never had a chance of winning, but he siphoned off enough votes from George Bush that we ended up getting Bill Clinton. 
You know, Clinton didn't win a majority the first time he ran in 92. He was a plurality choice, and it was because Perot sucked away enough votes from Bush to give the election to Clinton. And my speculation was, I mean, again, given the fact that if you are, if you were going to vote for this independent candidate, Joan Bedlinger, that you, you wouldn't, her voters wouldn't be going to Tony Evers. I guess that was my point, if you knew anything about where they stood on the issue. So my big question was, if is her presence in the race going to serve as, as a spoiler and in a race that is going to be very close? That's just the reality. That'll probably be you know two points one way or the other. If you have somebody who's really... And I, I found this hard to believe, but it really polling at 7% or even 5%, you know, do you siphon enough votes away from Tim Michaels to make a, a difference? And that's what we ended up talking about. Well, the news, and I've got a link to this, uh, this announcement, because I haven't seen this anywhere in the mainstream media. But if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Independent candidate for Wisconsin Governor Joan Beglinger, who, again, was polling at 7% in the last Marquette University Law School poll, has just announced that she is is dropping out of the race and urging her supporters to vote for for Tim Michaels. Now, I don't know all the thought process that went into this, but apparently I think probably it was, look, I'm not going to get elected. And if I if I siphon, you know, even three percent of the vote away from Michaels, that could make the difference in, in this race and the difference between Tim Michaels getting elected governor or another four years of Tony Evers. So to her credit, um, she's now not going to be a spoiler for Tony Evers. The announcement that the independent candidate candidate has, in fact, dropped out. When we come back, another day, another police chase. You be the judge. I'll give you the facts. Stick around. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means. It's time to get your home prepared for winter, and it's time for Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we're featuring Bruce's Team, senior real estate specialists. Visit their website at brucesteam.com. It's Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. All right, another day, another police chase. This one has a couple dazzling details. It ended Sunday morning, 3.15 a.m., 3.15 a.m. in the area of 26th and Nash when a car crashed into another vehicle driven by a 63-year-old man. The vehicle, and here's essentially what happened. A little bit before that, police see a car which has been stolen in connection with a robbery. All right, so, you know, we we do that. Okay, there's this car. It was taken in a robbery. Here, we're, we're going to try to pull over. So what happens in Milwaukee nowadays? Whenever you try to pull over a car, the people in the car take off. So the police follow it. Again, this wasn't just an ordinary stolen car. This wasn't, this was a car that was stolen in a robbery. This wasn't just, hey, we're chasing somebody because there's a taillight out. They, they know that the people that are involved or driving that car are probably involved in a more serious crime. So what happens is the people take off, the people driving the car take off like a bat out of you know what, and then slam into a car driven by a 63-year-old guy the um he's in his vehicle the car that they're chasing flips over at that point in time the neighbors describe what happened they see four people get out of the car all right after the vehicle is flipped over and everybody who's watching this is thinking these people 
They're lucky to not be dead. But they get out of the car, they run. Two of them run through the back alley. The other ones ran off, but the police caught them all and brought them to sit on the curb. One of the witnesses says it's just nobody seemed to be hurt. One guy's face was covered in blood. They had him sitting across the street. He couldn't move until the paramedics came. His hands, his arms, everything were scraped on, and it seemed like he was hurting. But the bottom line is all four of them are going to survive this high-speed rollover crash. All right, so the dazzling detail about, oh, and by the way, Inside the car, they recovered a gun. So there's a gun inside the stolen car. All right, so you got four people that are involved in this chase. Here is the dazzling detail. Would you like to guess the ages of the people driving this stolen car armed and fleeing from police at 3 o'clock in the morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning? Well, if I would ask you, what was the age of the oldest? What do you think the age of the oldest is? You know, maybe you'd say 19 or 20. Yeah, well, if you'd say 19 or 20, you'd be wrong. Maybe you'd say 18. If you'd say 18, you would be wrong. If you'd say 17, you would be wrong. If you would say 16, you would be wrong. The four people driving the stolen car, armed with the gun, fleeing from police, three of them, the driver was 15 years old, Another guy in the car was 15-year-old, and two 14-year-old boys who were passengers were also in the car. Two 14-year-olds, two 15-year-olds on the street, armed, in a stolen car, 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. Now, I'm not. don't even get me started on where the parents are. I mean, don't even get me started on where are the parents. I mean, can you just think back, think back to your childhood? Can you imagine when you're 14 or 15 years old being <laughs> driving around the street? That, let's forget the fact that, you know, you're in the stolen car, you're armed to the teeth, you're fleeing from police. Can you just imagine being on the street at 3.15 in the morning? But that, that's, that's, I guess, another story. So now they've got the two 14-year-olds in custody. They've got the two 15-year-olds in custody. Obviously, some or all of them were involved in the robbery of the car in the first place. But the matter is now in front of the district attorney's office. All right, you be the DA and you be the judge. Our number is 855-616-1620. Here is my question. Is there any reason not to waive every one of these punks into adult court? I understand that we try to bend over backwards to you know, treat all these juvenile criminals as something other than that. And I don't know whether they've been involved in the juvenile justice system before. I don't know that. But stolen car, fleeing from the cops, armed. Is there any reason not to treat every one of these, not just the driver? To me, the driver, treating him as as an adult is a no-brainer, but the other four as well. And do we do them a favor by not treating them as adults, sending them over to juvenile court where they're sent home and told, don't do it again until we catch them three weeks later. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, we've got limited phone lines that are available, but we'll try to get to some of the calls. And, of course, our text line works. I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, you know, you got to lock these kids up. 
you, you just have to lock these kids up because if you don't lock them up for this, the next car they steal and there will be another car instead of hitting the 63 year old guy and not killing him. They're going to hit and they're going to kill somebody. And that could be your spouse. It could be your family. It could be your friends. We do them no favors by simply coddling them and slapping them on the wrist. 855-616-1620. Back with your thoughts in a moment. It's official. Milwaukee is now the car theft theft capital of the United States. Here's the numbers. Um, This is according to today's TMJ4. Milwaukee experienced the largest change in vehicle theft rates in the country from 2020 to 2021. The report says that uh, Milwaukee had, in 2020, had a theft rate of 345 cars per 100,000 residents. That theft rate increased to 597 in 2021. That is a 72% increase in thefts during those two years, the highest increase in the rate in the country. Highest increase in the rate in the country. Wow. Wow. So um, we're number one in a category that you really don't want to be number one in. Ryan in Milwaukee. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. What do you think? Yeah, I was telling the story. Uh, I live downtown Milwaukee. Uh, I can remember when I was 15 years old, sleeping at 3 a.m. in the morning. But <laughs> um, that being aside of the point, we saw four kids on Monday at 9 p.m. breaking into a Santa Fe outside of our condo um, in another stolen car going 90 on the wrong way of the street. So I think it's adults. It's going to continue to happen if we do not set the precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, Milwaukee's the it's the worst in the country for it. So it happens at every time of the day, no matter where you are. Yeah, no, thank, thank, and so thank, thanks for calling. And, and this is, and you know, I'm, I'm so glad you called Ryan because the truth of the matter is, this happens on on a daily basis. I mean, let's let me just pull up the numbers. These are a couple days old, but the car thefts this year, um, almost six thousand, almost six thousand um, so far. That's slightly below where it was last year, but only slightly below. But again, where you, you reach a point where it, it it's you would think it, it can't get any higher, and and a lot of times it is juveniles. And what happens is the stories like you just told me, you know, four kids stealing cars outside of the condo and and heading ninety miles an hour, fleeing. That, that doesn't make the news. Okay, the only reason this story makes the news is because the four kids, 215, 214, smash into a car following the chase. It flips over, and then they try to run away. So they end up getting caught. But think of all the times that this happens, and they don't get caught, which I would argue is the vast majority of these cases. matter of fact, we know it is because we've looked at the prosecutions of people, and we, we see these numbers. The chances of getting caught from doing this stuff are very, very minor and you know what's going to happen you let these four punks loose and what's going to happen well they're, they're going to be back stealing cars two or three days later we're not doing them any favors we're not doing anybody any favors by not locking them up by not treating them as adults and part of the reason i think things have gone to you know what as quickly as they have is because we've had a whole situation where day after day week after week year after year we've treated 
dangerous juvenile criminals like Opie Taylor from, you know, Andy and Mayberry. This isn't Mayberry anymore. And law-abiding citizens are sick of that. They're sick of being preyed on by these punks who are not being controlled by their parents. Obviously, you're not being controlled by your parents if you're out at 3 o'clock in the morning driving a stolen car with a gun at the age of 14. Obviously, that the parents are, are checked out on, on this, or at least the vast majority of parents are going to be checked out on that. They've done a lousy job of raising these kids. So what you need to do is you need to impress upon these kids that if you continue down this path, you're going to end up dead. That That's inevitably what's going to happen, or you're going to end up in prison for a long period of time. My argument is put them in jail for at least a little bit of a time so that they get the idea that this is unacceptable. Now, I'm not thinking that's going to happen because we've got this entire criminal justice system that's geared to turn them loose over and over and over again. But my serious concern is we've lost a generation. Maybe we've lost two generations. And unless we wake up, it's going to get even worse. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. One of our, actually, it was very clever. One of our texters says, well, Jeff, I don't understand that last story you were talking about because you, you told us about the four teens who, teens who were arrested in the police pursuit who, you know, had the stolen gun and they were driving the stolen car and they fled from the cops and they hit the car and they, they flipped over and two of them were 15 and two of them were 14. How, how could that, that, that possibly be? Because don't we have a curfew in the city of Milwaukee? Yeah, my response was laugh out loud. You know, it's just that what a, what a great point. I mean, yeah, we we have this curfew, so it it can't possibly be that you've got these two fifteen years olds and these two fourteen year olds who are driving around in a stolen car with a gun at three o'clock in the morning, leading the police on a high speed chase and hitting other cars because we we've got our our curfew. Now the truth is, crime is out of control in this city, and I, I heard during the news, and it was all I could do to stop from doing one of my famous eye rolls. Well, the mayor says crime is down. Well, in a couple categories, it's down, but it's down from a record high. It's not down in homicides. Yes, the number of car thefts is down a little bit, and I guess that's good, but it's down from an all-time record year. It's still, you know, cars are being stolen on a daily basis, and they're being used by this. We're really not getting a handle on it, and if anybody tries to tell you otherwise, well, all right, you just have to kind of look at them. All right. I, I, I made reference to this when I was talking to Steve Scafidi. If you this is the, the time when we're leading into an election. And if you're sick of the ads now, just just wait, because it's only you know early September. We've got about two months to go. So I, I understand whenever you turn on the television and to a lesser extent, turn on radio, you're, you're, you're going to hear various ads. And particularly on TV, you're going to see attack ads after attack ads after attack ads as the parties try to figure out what it is to move the needle. The problem that the Democrats have right now is that the economy is in shambles. Inflation is running amok. Uh, yes, gas prices are down to 370 from 5 bucks, but 
but it's still, you know, not close to where gas prices would be. And if you go to the grocery store, you know how much more that you are are paying. So inflation is out of control. You've got education, which has just been a nightmare since, you know, we forced the school closings and, and kept the closings down. We've talked about crime on a regular basis on this program. So those are the issues that the Republicans are going to hit on. And the Democrats really can't respond on the economy, and they can't really respond on crime, and they can't really respond on the bad education numbers. So what what do you do? Well, you try to grasp at straws, and one of those straws is going to be, again, bringing up the, the, the boogeyman that is Donald Trump. That That's it. Democrats need to run against Donald Trump because if they run against what's happened in the last couple of years, they, they end up losing. So that's part of it. The other thing that you see out there, and you particularly see this in the governor's race. This morning, I, I was, was having breakfast, and I had the, the television on, and I counted in the space of— well, 10, 15 minutes, however long it, it took me to, to eat breakfast, I, I, I counted at least four anti-Tim Michaels ads, all based on the, the issue of abortion. Tim Michaels wants to lock women up. That's a lie. Tim Michaels wants to lock doctors up. Well, no, I don't really think so. Tim Michaels this, Tim Michaels that. But it was all based on the whole issue of of abortion. Now, let's understand what's going on here. Ever since the Roe versus Wade, or Roe versus Wade was overturned in, in the Dobbs decision, this has become sort of the rallying cry for the left that's trying to motivate people to go out and, all right, let, let's vote because you've got guys like Tim Michaels who are trying to take people's rights away. Well, the, the truth of the matter is that there's only so much that, in this case, the, the governor can do. I mean, the legislature is going to have to ultimately grapple with this decision. But this is the wedge issue that Democrats are trying to exploit because they figure this will help motivate people who will turn out who might not otherwise vote, and they'll rise up and they'll vote because they want to be able to abort babies. Okay, and and maybe that's going to be right. Maybe it's not. But I think these attack ads, it's tough to cut through them because at some point in time, and and I've, I've been saying this for well, long time. I, I always found Roe versus Wade to be a bad decision, not necessarily because it outlawed abortion, but because it created, I think, a constitutional right to abortion that I think existed nowhere in the Constitution. I always believed that this should be a matter that is left up to the states. And that's why we have in several states surrounding Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Minnesota, to name three, uh, abortion remains unchanged from the the Roe versus Wade decision, right? It's so the, the truth of the matter is that that abortion it, it's really not an issue. It shouldn't be in Michigan and Indiana and and in Illinois and in in Minnesota for sure because abortion is there. In Wisconsin, we have an 1849 law on the books which outlaws abortion and makes it illegal for doctors to perform abortions. Not for women to get abortions, but it's illegal for doctors to perform abortions. And this has kind of been the the wedge issue. There's a couple other laws, and the question is, you know, are they trumped by this 1849 law? No, I don't mean President Trump. I mean Trump as in, you know, Trump playing the Trump card. And so the, the question is, what should the law in Wisconsin be? And one of the things that's lost in all these attack ads and things like that is is what 
what should we, we do? And I, I understand that it's very, very difficult to have a sane conversation about this, given the fact that people feel so passionately about this, and it's becoming a wedge issue in the elections. But it does seem to me that at some point in time, we in this state are going to have to grapple with the question of what should the law on abortion be? Now, I'm on record as saying I think this is an issue where there needs to be a compromise. There needs to be a compromise from the left where there are people who believe that there should be no restrictions on abortion at all. That is, you know, if you want an elective abortion, abortion up till a couple seconds before that baby pops out, you should be able to do it. I think that that's that's barbaric and it's wrong. There are other people who don't believe there should be any allowance for abortion at all, including in cases of rape or incest. The vast majority of abortions are performed within the first 14 weeks, I think 92 percent, and 95 percent of abortions are performed within the first 15 weeks. So, you know, you're roughly talking about that three or four month range where most abortions are performed, and most elective abortions are performed. Our number is 855-616-1620. Once we get past the the politics of this, once we get past November, regardless of, of who is the governor, at some point in time, I think we're going to collectively have to come to grips with what the law on abortion should be in the state of Wisconsin. And, and keep in mind right now, we— Even if abortion is illegal in Wisconsin, it doesn't stop women from getting an abortion. It just simply says you've got to travel to Illinois or you've got to travel to Michigan or you've got to travel to Minnesota. So in some respects, we have become, you know, an an anti-abortion island, which to me, I'm not it doesn't make any sort of sense at at all. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the reasonable position on this. You're never going to make anybody ha- everybody happy. And again, I understand there's people who think, how dare you say anything? You, How dare you tell a woman anything she could do with her body? And she should be able to do anything until that baby is actually born. And then there's the flip side of people who don't think that, that there should be any abortion ever, not even rape, not even incest, etc. I respect people who have those different views. The way you have your views on, on abortion is based on your personal situation, your religious convictions, all those different things. But I, I think we need to find a medium. For me, where we need to be in this state is where Mississippi was, where Texas is. That is a a limit saying, okay, elective abortions within the first 14, 15, 16 weeks, fine. You have the right to do that. After that, it's, it's, again, it's a medical situation. I think that's kind of the sweet spot. I think that's where the majority of Wisconsinites are. And I think if we're ever going to get past this debate, that's where we need to be. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. And and, and look, I, I understand that this is a very, very divisive issue. And I understand that there's people of good faith on, on both sides of this question, who who are one, what I'm going to decide, the, the, the extreme sides. I don't mean the position's necessarily extreme. I just mean there's some people who believe that any abortion is murder and you can't sanction that. And there's some people who believe that women should be able to do anything they want, anytime they want with their, their babies up until the time the babies are born. I think if you look at the 
if you if you figure out where most people are, most people believe that there is a balancing. And I think whether it's the Mississippi law or the Texas law, which I think is 15 weeks, somewhere in there is, is the sweet spot. And that's where I think we, we need people to come together and say to Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, we need a legislative solution to this. And that legislative solution, and again, I, I don't know if it's 14 weeks or 15 weeks or 16 weeks, but it, it's some reasonable limit on elective abortions. And then after that, then you have, uh, again, exceptions for the life of the mother and things like that. That covers almost all the situations, because like I say, 95% of the abortions are performed within 15 weeks. So you, you, you do something like that. I think that is a reasonable middle ground. And I believe that that's where most people are. Unfortunately, that the loudest voices are on both sides of this issue, and it's preventing us from accomplishing stuff. Vincent in Lannan. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, the thing is, I agree with you totally. I think there has to be a happy medium to this, and I think about 75, about 60 to 75 percent of the uh, public is is basically at, at the same position that you are. And I'd like to reference two stories that you mentioned earlier. The young lady that was hijacked and, and raped in her car. Mm-hmm was basically raped, and also the 13-year-old girl who was basically raped by this this this, this monster that, that... Right, got involved in a shootout, yeah. ...at the end of his life. There's that. Now, un, un, under the 1840 law we have in Wisconsin, these in, these two ladies would have to go through this trauma and, and, and basically uh, bring these, uh, bring the child yep. to the term if they were if they were pregnant. And and Tim Michael said he, he, he basically supports that. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, uh, th- th- there has to be a point where the health of the mother uh, and rape and incest has to be in this particular bill, whatever bill the, the Republicans decide they want to come up with. But this 1840 law is absolutely insane. And so, and so, but but the point is, is that hey, I believe in, a, in 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 one in a woman's right to choose, not absolutely the right to choose, but I believe in a, a woman's right to choose, and to go back and to support a law that uh, basically was put in by just uh, wealthy white men is, is is doesn't make sense to me. Well, Vincent, and, so I, and I, I mean, and again, I, I think th- I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, look, and I, 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 I think. Again, we, we need to find a, a middle ground on this. Now, I, I think in, I, at some point in time, uh, hopefully we can get Tim Michaels on the air, because I, I understand there's a difference between your personal views on this issue and then what you would accept, for example, legislatively as the governor. And, and I guess my, my point is to the people who are the, the hardcore no abortion ever, 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 we, it's not like you're eliminating abortion in Wisconsin. All you're doing is you're driving the people who want to get abortions, you're sending them to, to Michigan or, or Illinois or Minnesota or, or somewhere else. You're just making it a little more difficult to do that. You're, you're not ending abortion, which is one of the reasons why. And, and look, and I, I, don't know, I don't know how we get past this. I'm going to be honest with you because there, there's, there's so much money. The, the Planned Parenthood, the all abortions, all the time groups, they, you know, they raise money. And they run political ads like you're seeing. And then you have the, the you know, pro-life groups that, that raise money by, again, saying, okay, we've got to have these, these hardcore positions and, you know, we have these litmus tests and things like that. And, and again, I, I think the vast majority of people are somewhere in the middle on, on this issue. 
And that's where we should be. As somebody who, like I say, starting off in this conversation, I always thought from a legal perspective, or just a purely legal perspective, I thought Roe versus Wade was a mess, I th- which has nothing to do with do I think that there should be abortions in certain circumstances. I, I think it's a legislative thing, but we, we need to figure out how we're going to get together. And and I don't I don't see that. The woman that's running for lieutenant governor, along with Tony Evers, he, she, she refuses to come out and say whether she'd even support a limit on abortion after 20 weeks on elective abortions. That is beyond the health of the mother. And again, you're, you're right. You've got people on the right who are like no abortion ever. We, we've got to figure out a way to get past that to be where I think the vast majority of people are and to recognize the reality that regardless of how you feel about abortion for a personal decision, it's going to be something that's with us. And for people in Wisconsin who say, well, I want to keep this 1849 law, the, the problem is it, all that does is it makes it more difficult for people in Wisconsin to get an abortion. It's not like it's a nationwide ab- abortion ban. So it, it, it's a very volatile political issue. I get it. And for the next two months, we're going to have all of, of this. I think, you know, Republicans could diffuse this entire issue by saying, you know what, you know, if we are, if, you know, if we have the majority over the course of the, uh, after the November elections, here's the bill that we're going to put on, even though we have personal opposition to abortion individually, we we recognize that this is where we're going to do it. We don't want us to become an anti-abortion island. And despite our personal misgivings, this is the framework that we would submit. And then it gives Tim Michaels a chance to come up and say, you know, even though I personally oppose this, I I, I don't believe that this is appropriate. I recognize that, you know, this is where we are. And if it were presented to me, I would hold my nose and I would sign it. And then all these issues end up going away. Now, I'm not holding my breath that people are going to do that, but it would diffuse a lot of these issues and it would get the election back at least focusing on the things that I think are important to most people, which is, again, the economy and stuff like that. Because, you know, right now we're in this, this stalemate without the Republicans saying they're going to move in the legislature, without the Democrats saying that they're willing to move in any way, shape, or form. We're, we're at this, this stalemate, and, and that's not a good place to be. I'm getting swamped with texts from people who are sane people who, who recognize that there is a rational solution to this this abortion situation that we find them, themselves in. And I understand it means some people are going to have to compromise their, their religious beliefs, their principles, or whatever to reflect, I think, where society is on this. And it means that, you know, in some cases, the people who think it should be all abortion, all the time, no limits, 13-year-old girls getting abortions without telling their parents. Okay, that is an extreme position, just like the folks who think, well, okay, no abortion at all because even in situations like rape or incest, there, there is a middle ground. One of our texters says, Jeff, thanks for refocusing the conversation to the real issue. I agree with you that a reasonable compromise needs to be found, except in cases where the mother's health is at risk. It seems like we should be able to agree that elective abortions are probably not okay after viability outside the mother. The upper limit is around 22 to 24 weeks now. Well, again, I I, I don't know what the magic time is, whether it's 14 or 15 or 16, like I say, the vast 95% of abortions are performed within the first 15 weeks. 
within the first 15 weeks, which would seem to me that you can make a strong argument that that gives you enough time to to make a decision with regard to the elective abortions, and health of the mother is different. But there, there there are reasonable compromises that are out there, and unfortunately, some of the loudest voices on both sides of this who have principled arguments. I, I really, I concede that. I understand it. But there, we got to get past this and, and move on, don't we? Football fans, Cover 5 is back for the kickoff of football season. This is a fun game. I, I play it. Sign up for Cover 5, a free-to-play sports game for season-long fun. Join Cover 5 for free at Cover5.com or on the Cover 5 app for your chance to win $100 per week. Here's what you do. You pick five games each week and the best score against the spread. So if the spread is Green Bay plus three and the Packers win by 10, all right, you you would get seven points. That's how it's worth. The the 10 minus three equals seven. Okay. Okay. And I used to be good at this last couple of years. I've been awful at it. But anyways, you pick five games against the spread, best score against the spread throughout the regular season, wins a four best score against the spread throughout the season, wins a $400 Ticket King gift card. Join the WTMJ contest on the Cover 5 app and Cover5.com for free. Pick five pro football games against the spread each week all season long. Cover five, bet the spread, score more points. You can use the promo code. It's WTMJ22 to join. WTMJ22 to join. Visit WTMJ.com for contest rules. And it's a little bit confusing. Go to our webpage, WTMJ.com. Click on the icon that says contest. And then what happens is you'll get this drop-down menu. You'll see cover five. You click on that. It'll say, what's your promo code? You put in WTMJ22, and you are off to the races. And you can... uh, you can see my picks because it's all public. You see all the different names, and I use my own name, Jeff Wagner, so you can see how well or if it's any indication of the last few years how poorly I do. I, I got killed, just killed the first week of the season. I lost like 50 points, which is an unthinkable amount of points to lose, and I was just behind the rest of the year. It was just one week kind of put me out of it, but it's a lot of fun, and I encourage you to do it if you like to do those things. All right, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. All right, well, this isn't quite that. Lions and Tigers and Bears, oh my, is, of course, you know, from the Wizard of Oz. And when they're starting off, these are the different things they're afraid of, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? Well, there are other references to to movies as well. And a matter of fact, I I have, I'm guilty of this because over the the. The, all the time I've done programs on the radio show, every once in a while, because I'm a huge movie fan, I, I always I always think back to the, the old Frankenstein movies, and, you know, you will have the, the villagers who get, you know, really, really upset because Dr. Frankenstein is in the castle and, and he's building the monster, and they don't really understand that the monster is just kind of misunderstood. But they're outraged that he's building the monster. So what do they do? They, they have the town hall meeting, and then they all start streaming towards the castle, and they've got their pitchforks, and, and they've got their torches, and they're heading to the castle. Now, I... I have admittedly, over the course of the last couple decades on the radio, I have from time to time used that analogy. Now, the way I typically say it is, okay, figuratively, you know, people are heading out with their torches and their pitchforks. Again, connotating the idea that, okay, people are mad as you know what, and and they're not going to take it anymore. 
Okay, is that and it's that that sort of reference, kind of like the reference to network, you know, where you've got the anchorman. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Th- those are the types of things, and I have used that reference because I think sometimes our elected officials have done or failed to do stuff, which causes outrage. So I, I always say, figuratively speaking, because I, I never want somebody to think that I am actually encouraging people to go get a pitchfork and, and storm into the streets. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think that there's anybody with an IQ above plant life who would hear that phrase and say, oh, the guy on the radio is really encouraging me to go light something on fire and storm out into the streets carrying my pitchfork. It is a it is a frame of reference. It is a phrase. It is an expression. And I think most people understand that. But we are, of course, in the silly season. Now, as we talked about, what, about a week or so ago, you had in the local newspapers effort to try to run a, a anti-Tim Michaels, it's it's what's going to be the Michaels attack story du jour. They, they had the one that his foundation gives a, a ton of money to all sorts of charitable causes, and he donates to, heaven forbid, he donates to like pro-life Wisconsin, and he donates money to Wisconsin Right to Life. Many of you probably do that as well. And he donates money to his to churches that he belongs to. Heaven forbid, he donates money to churches. And the Journal Sentinel chose to make that an issue because he, he belongs to, you know, Spring Creek Church or whatever, and they're, they're a noted conservative church, and this is what the pastor has said on one occasion, and here he's, he's donating money to this and that and the other, and I, I think there's a lot of people who believe that that really kind of went too far. It was this kind of unfair cheap shot, and and I agree, and the Journal Sentinel's gotten very defensive about that because they're getting a lot of blowback. So anyhow. Michaels comes out and he goes on a radio show, and this is, you know, what he said because he was being asked about how do you feel about these attacks based on, you know, some of the, the different places that you've chosen to make money, give money to. You gave money to Pro-Life Wisconsin. You gave money to Wisconsin Right to Life. You gave money to your church. And, and here's, here's what he said, and I'm quoting it. I believe people should just be ready to get out into the streets with pitchforks and torches with how low the liberal media has become. People need to decide, am I going to put up with this? Am I going to tolerate this? Taking somebody that gives money to churches or cancer research and using that as a hit piece. I'm appalled. It's disgusting. Okay, so what's the takeaway of this? Well, you get people in the media and people on the other side who say, pitchforks and torches. Pitchforks and torches. Um, Tony Evers, Evers, except unless you're Joe Biden, this is what he comes out to say. It sounds like you're encouraging violence, whether it's against the media or otherwise. It's just wrong. When you're running for governor in the state of Wisconsin, you have to have some semblance of discipline, like the discipline, for example, that Evers showed when after the police shooting in Kenosha, he came out and essentially instead of waiting for all the facts, implied that this was an illegitimate shooting and fanned the fuels that led to the riots? I'm sorry, I digress. Evers says, it sounds like you're encouraging violence, whether it's against the media or otherwise. It's just wrong. When you're running for governor in the state of Wisconsin, you have to have some semblance of discipline. You can't blow off a comment like that and that some people will take seriously. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, there, there are... Huge differences in, in politics and policies between uh, Tim Michaels and, and Tony Evers. I, I get it. But at the same time, 
He uses the phrase, people should be appalled. People should be just about ready to take out with their pitch, gets into the streets with their pitchforks and their torches with how low the liberal media has become. All right, is that really, in the real world, a call for violence? And look, I I understand that we live in heated times, but again, I think most rational, sane people understand what that is a reference to. And this idea that now the Journal Sentinel is somehow upset with this. Oh, he's calling for violence. And you've got Tony Evers, which is who's trying to portray it as that factor as well. Or members of the Democratic Party who are saying this is just it's an extreme attempt to pander to Donald Trump and the MAGA base. No, he's just saying that this was a cheap shot. People should be outraged and should be willing to take action. Is it really any more than that? 855 Look, I understand we're in the silly season. I, I, I get it, where everything provokes outrage. But at some point in time, we need to have a degree of common sense. So Michaels goes on this radio show, and, and he's he is— making an issue of the fact that he was attacked over the donate charitable donations he makes, including money to his church and money to, heaven forbid, Wisconsin, right to life or pro-life Wisconsin. And that's the way the Journal Sentinel tried to spin the story, and they're getting blowback. And so he's like, he says, look, here, here, here's the deal. I think a lot of people should be offended by this. His exact quotation on the issue was, I think people should just be ready to get out into the streets with pitchforks and torches, torches with how low the mid-liberal media has become right now that is clearly hyperbole it is clearly a it is a reference which i have used from time to time and trying to say i think people should be actuated to do this now i always put the word figuratively in so nobody can think that i'm actually encouraging people to go to fleet farm and buy a pitch far fork and go you know wherever else that you go to buy a torch wouldn't even know that I, so i always say figuratively he did not put that word in but now you have tony evers who's just outraged about the, this whole thing and the, and the journal says Sentinel is writing this story and all oh, this is he's encouraging violence to which my response is, you know, really? And then, of course, Evers, who has the audacity to, you know, say, you know, when running for governor in the state of Wisconsin, you have to have some semblance of discipline. You can't blow off a comment like that that some people will take seriously. This is the same governor who, after the, the shooting in Kenosha, without by his own admission, knowing any of the facts, launches into this, well, you know, we live in this racist world, and this is yet another example of a black man who is shot illegitimately by the police, and that's, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the implication was, throwing kerosene onto the fire. Hey, hey, Tony, you know, maybe you should think about, you know, the stuff that you've done before you criticize what is obviously hyperbole, 855-616-1620. And I guess my, my point is, and, and this becomes the, the story of the day, he said pitchforks and torches. Seriously, does, does anybody think that he is actually encouraging people to go into the streets with pitchforks and torches and then storm Frankenstein's castle? Kathy in Oak Creek. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, kiss my grits, Alice, <laughs> or what you're talking about, Willis. These are phrases that people use, okay? It'll be different if after he said that, he would say, okay, let's go to Tony Evers' house, and then we'll burn his house with the torches, and then we'll stab him in the back with the pitchforks, and then stuff like that. But come on, it's just a phrase that he said. 
Well, right. It, it's right. right it, 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 and that's and, and I think you know most rational, sane people would would encourage that, right? If he said, "Okay, let, let's all let's all you know load up our guns and we're marching down to wherever it is that they they publish the local newspaper," that that's a different story. But he's clearly mm-hmm. speaking. You know, th- this again, it is uh, it is a phrase that he's being used. He is not encouraging actual violence, and you know, I mean, like I. Like I say, otherwise he would tell people where to go buy pitchforks and how to get torches. I would have no idea myself. Now, thanks for the call, Kat. Again, but it, but it's this is the, the story that's out there, and oh, he, he's encouraging you know this violence that's there, and and he's encouraging the rhetoric. Well, okay, again, if if that's the issue, um, what responsibility does Evers take for his incendiary incendiary rhetoric that I think did? encourage some people to, I don't know, participate in the riot that went on in Kenosha. I mean, that's the ultimate hypocrisy of this entire thing. But the bigger point is any reasonable person knows that Tim Michaels wasn't talking about let's storm the streets and let's light something on fire or whatever. He was making a reference that maybe it's a little bit dated. Michaels is about my age. So maybe, you know, he's referring to these movies. Evers knows that, you know, the media knows that. But yet this is the effort to try to get that that second day story that's out there. I'm sorry, lots of people want to weigh in. I'm just, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of, you know, we, we have to have, we, we have to recognize, and I appreciate that words matter. I, I get it. And sometimes, and perhaps you can make a strong argument that both Donald Trump and in his most recent remarks, you know, Joe Biden, in an effort to try to incite people on their side, they have gone overboard with the phrases that they have used and some of the concepts that they have pushed out. And if you want to argue that Donald Trump went too far in inciting that riot that occurred, and I'm going to use the word riot on January 6th, I appreciate that. I'm not going to argue with you about that at this point in time. But regardless, that's not that's not close to what the Michaels comment was, and any rational person knows that, whether it's people writing at the Journal Sentinel or the governor of the state of Wisconsin. But again, I understand that this is now where it's the silly season. We're trying to manufacture different issues. And I guess I just think it would be helpful if everybody would recognize, maybe dial down the rhetoric period, but also at the same time realize that, okay, th- these are phrases, nothing more. Sometimes the texts make me laugh. Jeff, is it not lost on you that as a member of the media, you're complaining about the media? The idea that there is a left-leaning media bias is as fake news as they come. <clears throat> to which my response is, I am not, and nor have I ever been, a part of the mainstream media. But trying to pretend that there isn't a liberal bias in the mainstream media, I'm sorry, it's just plain silly. And to, to make that argument makes you sound silly. I mean, we matter of fact, the, the rise of you know, conservative talk radio has been there as a, as a minor counterbalance on what you get in most print media and what you get in most TV media. And Fox News, again, that's one of the reasons why Fox has been as successful as it is. It's a counterbalance to something that you get everywhere else. And you can argue they go too far. But regardless of that, that this idea that there's not a bias in the mainstream media, I mean, give me a break. If you want to, if you were to put you know, the 
and, and it manifests itself in many ways. And I don't necessarily, I mean, it just, it is what it is, but to deny that it exists, um, give me a break. You know, one of the other things when Joe Biden was here yesterday, he, um, decided to go off on Ron Johnson. It was interesting to me that Mandela Barnes, who was at the Labor Day event, but he was at the Labor Day parade, but chose not to appear on the stage with the president of the United States. I mean, that was a conscious decision. He did not want to be seen with the president of the United States, but the president of the United States decided that he was going to go after Ron Johnson anyways. And it one of the things that tells me, I, I said when the last Marquette University Law School poll came out, I, I predicted it was the high water mark for Mandela Barnes, but also I think the race was a lot closer, and there have been po- some polls since then that, that suggest that. I, one of the reasons it tells me that's really the case is that the Democrats have pulled out the, okay, Ron Johnson wants to throw Granny, put her on an iceberg and float her out. They're running these anti-these Social Security ads saying Ron Johnson wants to destroy Social Security. Normally, they wait till a little bit later in the campaign, but this this race must be very very tight because they're trotting out the stuff, which is just a huge lie. And you had Joe Biden yesterday saying Ron Johnson wants to put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block. Okay, that, that, that is, of course, it's the big lie. Matter of fact, I reached out to the Ron Johnson campaign, and, and we're going to have him on sometime this week, I hope, because that, that's my specific question. Okay, you've now been called out by the President of the United States. He says you want to put it on the chopping block. Where do you really stand on that? But the fact that they are pulling out that chestnut tells me the Johnson-Barnes race, that and the fact that Barnes chose not to share the stage with Joe Biden, tells me that this race is very, very close, and Barnes just didn't want to be linked to Joe Biden. All right, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have a friend, and I'm not going to mention his name because he probably wouldn't like me to do that. But but it, it's, it, it's a very, very interesting guy, and, and I love having the opportunity to pick his brain. He, um, he, he took over... Uh, a small company that his father had started. And then through just the hard work and vision and, you know, you name it, turned this, this small company into a, a huge international presence. And, and I, I give him just all the credit in, in the world. He took all sorts of risks, but he, he just he had a vision for where this particular company you know, should be. And it's interesting because when we talk, and a matter of fact, just the last couple of days we're having this conversation, he always says that, that the challenge is always what, what's coming next. You know, the, the thing with, with businesses is lots of times they just they, they rest on their laurels. They sit and they say, OK, well, I, I've, got, I've got this product right now. And, and it's great, you know, and everybody wants to buy Jeff's widgets and it's state of the art. But within, you know, five years from now, the, the question is, OK, everybody might have Jeff's widgets. What What's the next thing? How are we going to, you know, make that, that better widget? How are we going to continue to grow the company? Because we always have to have innovation. We have to have new ideas. And, and that's that's one of the things I think is just so incredibly visionary about my friend that instead of just being content to say, OK, I built this this huge business, it's always, OK, what where do we need to be? 
today? Where do we need to be next week? Where do we need to be next year? Where do we need to be 10 years from now? It's always that forward thinking, that, that ability to simply say, I, I, need, I, I need to figure out where we're going to be, that I think separates so many successful people from, like, uh, the people who maybe aren't really that as successful. I mean, they, they do okay. You, you run you run the company that you've inherited or whatever, and it's pretty much doing the same thing it always did, and then sooner or later tastes change, and all of a sudden you find that your, your market is gone. I, I was thinking about my, my buddy when I, I thought about the, the passing of, of Herb Kohler, and Herb Kohler was an absolute visionary. He died over the weekend at the age of 83. Let me, let me, the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal editorial page devotes a piece to Herb Kohler. And, and I, I wanted to share it with you because I, look, I recognize that most people never had a chance to meet Herb Kohler or play golf with him or anything like that. But he was just such a presence in Wisconsin. And again, he's to me the epitome of that, that visionary that, that you see with, with some entrepreneurs and some businessmen. And for everybody who said, well, you know, he, he inherited, you know, his operation of the Kohler Company, you know, well, okay, there's lots of people that, that take over like a business, even the business that's successful, but th- they end up not having that vision. And like I say, a few years later, the, the business is in trouble. Here's what the Wall Street Journal writes. Family businesses that grow into giant firms yet stay family-owned are rarities these days. One of the most enduring and successful is the Kohler Company, the power and plumbing fixtures firm based in its namesake Wisconsin Village. Thanks to the efforts and vision of former CEO Herbert Kohler Jr., who died Saturday at the age of 83. The Kohler Company was founded in 1873 by Herb Kohler's grandfather, Austrian immigrant John Michael Kohler. Herb Kohler took over in 1972 when the company had some 106—this would be the dad. Herb Kohler took over in 1972 when the company had some $160 million in annual revenue and expanded into a global business worth nearly $6 billion in revenue when he stepped down as CEO in 2015. That's the Herb Kohler who just passed away. Took over in 72 and— $160 million in annual revenue expanded into a global business with nearly $6 billion in revenue when he stepped down as CEO in 2015. Herb Kohler turned the company from its utilitarian roots into one that stressed design as well as functionality in its bathroom and kitchen fixtures. His son David succeeded Herb as CEO. The company's success is a reminder that old manufacturing businesses can succeed by adapting to new tastes and the demand of the marketplace. You know, isn't that true? You know, you have these old line businesses and the the real visionary leaders are the ones that say, okay, it's great that we're, you know, making toilets right now. That's wonderful. But, you know, where is the market going to be? You know, we have to anticipate that 10 years from now, people are going to want more than like your your basic toilet or, or whatever that is. And we have to be willing to adapt. Herb Kohler is less well known at least nationwide, as the man who put his corner of Wisconsin halfway between Milwaukee and Green Bay near Sheboygan 
on the map as a global golf destination. With the help of designer Pete Dye, Kohler took a stretch of farmland and an abandoned airfield and developed several courses that attract golfers from around the country and the world. Whistling Straits, a Scottish Lynx-style course on the Lake Michigan shore, hosted the Ryder Cup in 2021 and has also hosted three PGA tournaments, one of professional golf's four major annual men's championships. As the Chicago Tribune once put it, the likelihood of turning this vast rural farmland into a golf mecca is about the same as making a toilet a work of art. Herb Kohler can now say he has done both. Starting a successful business is enormously difficult, but keeping a U.S. manufacturing firm flourishing in the latter half of the 20th and the early 21st centuries was arguably even harder. Herb Kohler could say he did that, too. That That is just absolutely correct, and it is it's it's that vision that that is out there, and again, it's the the challenge to all the entrepreneurs that are out there. And this is it's one of the the stories that I think just a lot of people don't get. If you hear, oh, you know, this is this family company, and oh, you you inherited the family company or whatever you took over for your father, that that means you know it's just it was just all set. That's not true. Because, you know, in most cases, again, you have to figure out where the market's going to go. You have to figure out how to adapt. And that's that's exactly what happened at Kohler. I mean, before it was like a utilitarian sort of company. Okay, we make sinks, we make toilets, boom, that that's it. Well, okay, that, that was fine in the day. That was fine in the 40s and 50s and 60s. But, okay, moving forward, it was like, all right— what can we do? We've got to come up with these new products. People people want the, the fancy stuff in their bathrooms and things like that. And they were able to figure that out, and they were able to keep that company flourishing. And then the golf thing was just, I think that was an act of, of passion because he clearly you know, loved golf and things like that. But it is true. If you travel around the world you know, and you talk golf with people, that that's you know, Whistling Straits, for example, you know, the the other courses that they have up there, Black Wolf Run, the, these are courses that people all across the world have heard of, and it's courses all across the world that people want to come to and play. He really did put that area on, on the map, again, with, with that vision. So um, whenever you, you hear about the passing of, of just Titans, Herb Kohler was definitely, definitely a Titan in the industry. Um, he was a tremendous friend to the golfing community, and he was a tremendous friend to, I, I think, you know, pretty much everybody in Wisconsin. He will definitely, definitely be missed. Green Bay opens their season Sunday at Minnesota, and we've got you covered. Greg Matzik gets you ready for kickoff with Green Bay Game Day at noon on 94.5 ESPN Milwaukee. Then after the game, Greg Neitzel, Homer, and Mark Tauscher have three hours of reaction on a pack attack post-game right here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. Get the best game day coverage this Sunday and all season long on 94.5 ESPN and News Radio 620 WTMJ. Um, September starting. If you, well, it'll be the end of the month. You'll get your quarterly um, reports from those of you who have money invested in the stock market, whether it's individual or, let's face it, most people have money in 401ks or IRAs or things like that. And it, it appears that it is going to be brutal. Matter of fact, the last three weeks have just been absolute killers. And today the stock market started up and then promptly took a nosedive to Dow down right now. 
Let me refresh. My number says one. Oh, Dow down right now, 140. NASDAQ down 66. But that that's on, on top of just relentless losses over the last couple, um, over the last several weeks, which couple a really, really bad year. If you're wondering how bad it is, here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> this year, in order to just break even, in other words, to get you back to where you started the year, the S&P 500 would need to gain 21.5% between now and the end of the year. The Dow Jones Industrials Average would have to gain 16.1%. The NASDAQ, which is tech-heavy, would have to gain 34.7%. It has just been brutal in in the stock market. Um, U.S. stock funds down on average 17.3%. This year, that includes a 3.5 average decline in August. International stock funds fell 5.3% during August. Their year-to-date decline has been 21.5%. In other words, it has just been brutal, you know, in the stock market all, all year. And and the reason, it's pretty simple. It's, it's inflation. And the fact that um, in an effort to try to curb inflation, the Federal Reserve has decided they're going to continue to keep raising interest rates. And the problem is there's a real fear that that's going to drive the country into a recession. But I I understand that when it comes to politics, people's eyes glaze over and say, well, we don't want to end up talking about this. But I, I think over the next two months, I hope the candidates that are running for office have a very, very serious conversation about, you know, why we are at this point. When Joe Biden was in Milwaukee yesterday, he said, well, you know what the real cause of inflation is? And I was dying to hear his response. He said, cars, cost of cars. And he said, that's because there was a shortage of computer chips. And and that that I guess it's like anything that that's that is an element of of that. But the the real reason we have had an inflationary spike in this country it, it goes back to April of last year when it first started, when we had the the third round of stimulus payments. Even after the pandemic was way o- was way over, we started giving people all this money to spend, and it was like April of 2021 where inflation first popped up to like over four percent, and it's been unrelentingly increasing. And that's government policies that was you know giving people money that we did not have. They then spent the money that fueled like increased costs. And like I get it. I understand that there's other stuff. There's, you know, what's going on in Ukraine. But there's also been the war on energy that our government has been conducting, which is, you know, where we say to these providers of natural gas and oil, etc., you guys are evil. We want to try to force you out of business. But oh, by the way, why aren't you pumping more right now? Well, you can't have it both ways. So inflation is just a huge issue. It's taken its impact on the economy, and you're starting to see this. And whenever we talk about trying to to benefit the middle class, the truth of the matter is the, the middle class, your retirement, so I understand there might be some people that still have, you know, the, the traditional pension plans and things like that, and if you do, that that's great. But that's not where the majority of people are. The majority of people, in addition to whatever they're going to get for social, from Social Security or whatever, are dependent on the amount of money that they can save over the course of, of the lifetime. And I understand you got to take a long-term picture of this, but over the last year and a half and the last year, the start of the year in particular, it has just been absolutely brutal when you look at the average stock fund down 17.3%. So that means that you, you know, you, you've lost 
just about $1 out of every $5 that you had in invested. Now, I understand that um, people will say, well, it's not really a loss uh, until you have to cash it out. Well, that, I think, misses the point. The point is, you know, you make your retirement decisions based on what your nest egg is. And if suddenly your nest egg has dropped by 17 or 20 or 25 or 30 percent, that that has huge impact as to, you know, what are you going to be able to do moving forward? And even if you've been in conservative investments, you've lost your shirt this year. And I understand that the administration wants to say, well, you can't blame us. We've had nothing to do with that. It's all these factors beyond my control. Bull. I mean, there's no question what we're dealing with. There's a myriad of reasons why the economy has been in the tank, or at least the stock market's been in the tank. But if you don't think it's partially due to the anti-energy policies that we've had, the just let's throw money, let's give people money and money and money and money and money, not to mention the latest thing, which is going to happen when we suddenly forgive $10,000 a piece in student loans, allowing some people to spend more money. Now, other people aren't going to be able to do it because you're going to have to come up with that $10,000 for the couple that makes a quarter million who are suddenly getting $20,000 in student loan relief. But you want to talk about a war on the middle class. It's economic policies that drive down the value of their holdings and their 401ks and their various other retirement plans and things like that. And that drives up energy costs by taking anti-energy positions and then wondering why gasoline costs an enormous amount or why produce, why food is costing a lot more, in part due to the fact that Gas costs a lot more, so the gas, the diesel gasoline, the diesel fuel that you know drives the trucks, that costs a lot more, so those costs have to be passed on. So the bottom line is, if you think it's been a bad year in the stock market this year and you're feeling the pain, well, we're all in the same boat together because that's exactly what's happened. And the problem is, despite being told that inflation was going to be transitory, meaning it was going to end sometime soon, really not shaping up that way at all. 17.3% down from U.S. stock funds. And again, the um, the S&P 500, the numbers are it would have to increase 21% over the next four months just to get you where you were at the start of the year. And unfortunately, I'm not holding my breath that that's going to happen. We're almost there. I can see all the empty boxes. WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin's radio station is moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. The avenue is vibrant, exciting. Plus, you'll be able to come by and see us. Come see our entire team this fall. WTMJ's move to the avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. Yeah, Alex Crow, three weeks. Three weeks from today, we're in our new <laughs> location. So, I, and I know it's it's going to happen because I now I now have I've got the parking pass that I can get into the parking garage, and I now have the um, app that I can get into the building. I, I still don't have the key fob you need to get particularly uh-huh. in there, but I, I saw my boss, Mister Wexler, and he said he's got the key fob. So I. I d- I think I'm in line for that. I have my key fob, so they've already they've already got me all hooked up. I'm all set. So you, if you are there. Let you in. I can well, get no, you there. Clear, clearly, you are the higher priority. <laughs> yeah, I no, guess so. Right, clearly, you are the higher priority. <laughs> well, no. What happened was, you know, you had that orientation. I couldn't go to that because I had like this radio show to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, was, I had this radio show to do, so I couldn't do that. So I, that's where they gave everybody key fobs. But I, I'm told that there is a key fob with my name on it. Nice. So. 
well, I guess, you know, <laughs> so that'll that that'll be there. But the thing is going to happen. There's no doubt about it. Three yeah. weeks from today, you can tell with all the boxes we have around here. It uh, It is like living in, uh, in a per- perpetual state of moving. You're getting ready, throwing stuff out, saving other stuff, getting ready to move. But man, it, uh, it it's going to be a, a nice a nice layout. I'm excited for you to check it out because it, it looks very, very nice in there. Yeah, I saw the um, I, I haven't seen the offices. I kind of walked through the studios mm-hmm. when I was down there a month or so ago. And it, it's, it's going to people are going to be able to come into the food hall and mm-hmm. it's, it's on one side so we're not like right in the middle of the food hall but people can if you want to see what everybody looks like or want to watch radio being had you can you can do that <laughs> stuff i'm it, we've got, all the pictures and stuff are gone except they've got there's four pictures left up, up on the walls one of me one of um uh mercure uh, one of Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt, mm-hmm. and I'm forgetting who the fourth one is. I'm, I'm wondering if, if they're taking those down there or if I, I doubt it probably. I, I probably get to get that. I might walk away with mine because if uh, I don't take my picture, who knows where it's going to end up. I was going to say, I don't think they're taking them down there. I think that one might be uh, that one might be all yours. That one might be all mine. <laughs> so I'm going to bring home this big picture of myself and, and my wife's going to go, I know what you look like. Why do we have it there and where are we going to hang it up? So we'll we'll figure that out. Just bring it home some new artwork for the house. It's fine. Yeah, well, I, I, I hear about that one. Okay, that's great. Where are we going to put this, honey? So, very glad to have you with us. A number of people are suggesting what I do with that giant picture of me that's on the, on the walls there and stuff. I... Charlie, you have an idea? I was originally, I originally put my post-it note on it because it was the only framed picture that didn't have a name on it, and then they took it off, so I guess I'm not allowed to have it anymore. You, you want the picture? You got it if you want it. All right, well, we'll see. I, you, right, you, you get first claim. If you, if you want it, uh, you got it. it. It can't end up in the dumpster. That's the only I, thing. I won't let it be in the dumpster. I just don't know if it's going to fit in my home or if All right, I'm going to well, feel we'll- creeped out about it later on. Like you're always watching me, like you are right now. Ah, uh, it's okay. Hey, actually, I like that idea. It would it would be much better. That see, that's it. I think it. That's it. That is it. That's what we're gonna do. Right? Exactly. We can. He can just follow you, and like it's one of those paintings where kind of like sort of like the Mona Lisa, where the eyes move and they kind of follow you around. All right. I think we have found a home for that, and my lovely and charming wife Fran will actually appreciate you that because I come home with this giant picture she's going to go where are we going to put that so I think it would look great in your apartment and then you can kind of just always like sort of look back and say this is the guy I started out working for and stuff and that's it all right we, we have we have found a home for that it, it goes with Charlie appreciate that and Fran appreciates that as well all right I want to um, oh just an update on another story if you're a regular listener to this program you understand that I I, I have there are things that I have hot button issues, obviously, like the out of control crime and things like that. But one of the things that has been a hot button issue of mine for a number of years has been the decline of Northridge Shopping Center. And we've we've talked about this before. And it it, it hits home just because Northridge, of course, it, for years and years, it was an economic engine of, of that part of town. But secondly, it was a place where I grew up going to. So, I mean, it's if you grew up on the North Shore like I did in the like late 70s and 80s and 90s, you, you went to Northridge. And to see what has happened in Northridge over the last two decades, it's just been—it it breaks your heart. It's appalling. What's even worse is the fact that they have been you know, purchased by what I'm going to describe as, as a bad, bad company. Um, it's been owned by this outfit called U.S. Black Spruce Enterprise Group since 2008. The company has not really put a dime into it. They, they, they talk a good game about how 
we want to turn this into an Asian trademark, etc. And they've got these plans, and they trot out the plans, and the TV stations see it, and they show it to people, and people, oh, that's great. They, they have no intention of doing that. Maybe at some point in time they did, but the reality is giant shopping malls, they, they're just, they're closing all over the country. It's Nobody is building giant shopping malls anymore. It's just not how things work. And, you know, in the case of Northridge, they've let the building deteriorate so much that, you know, you, 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 you would have to put millions and millions and millions of dollars in just to get it back to where it was. And they have no intention of doing that. I, I you know, they, they've fallen behind in their property taxes. And then what happens is right before they're ready to get the foreclosure order, they come up with the money and they pay the property taxes. And now they're behind again. And the thing has fallen into disrepair. And we had the fire chief on talking about how there were like four fires over a period of a couple of weeks. He's afraid the thing is going to collapse when he sends his firefighters in to pull it, put it off. And, and meanwhile, it continues to deteriorate and deteriorate. And I, I honestly, I don't know what the company's end game is, whether they hope Hope to be such a nuisance that they hope to convince the city of Milwaukee to to pay them something for this, which should be condemned and torn down. I don't know what the end game is. I'm not sure what they know the end game is. They've switched attorneys a couple times, and they're in litigation with one of their previous law firms. It, it's just a mess. But anyhow, the the county court system has really kind of cracked down on this. The there was a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, you know, William Sosny, who said, "Look, here, here's here's the deal. Um, we're done with this. You 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 gotta you've got to maintain this. You've got to put security around it. You've got to put upgrades into this. You've got to stop this from being the the problem that it is. And if you don't do this, you're going to be subject to two thousand dollar fines a day. Well, of course that." That didn't happen. The thing, there's been almost nothing done. And, um, you know, last week, the, the judge, Bill Sosny, he said, look, um, here, here's the deal. Um, you failed to meet this August 19th deadline. You now face at least $26,000 in fines. He said uh, Friday, if somebody thinks that these won't be paid or enforced, they are sadly mistaken because they are dealing with the wrong judge. Now, I, I don't I don't know what ultimately you're going to be able to do to collect this money, but I think finally, 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 we've reached this point where people are starting to say enough is enough. And the, the bottom line is this this company that owns it, they, they have no plans for it. They've allowed it to deteriorate. What's got to happen is the city has to condemn it. The city has to tear it down, raise it, and then, then we figure out where you go next. And everybody's got different theories of that. But allowing this dilapidated building to continue to stand just does no good at all. So right now the meter is running. It's $2,000 a day. The next hearing is October 3rd. Hopefully that will be the last one. You'll get a raise order, R-A-Z-E, and they'll tear it down, and then we'll, we'll go on. And it breaks my heart to see what's happened to a place that I say, like I say, I hung out with a lot, a lot, hung out at a lot, you know, when I was growing up around here. But um, it's just the reality. Time moves on. Which brings me to what I want to talk with you about next. I want to take a sort of a walk down memory lane on a Tuesday afternoon after Labor Day. Story in... The Chicago Tribune, of all places, talks about one of the more famous Chicago bars. And there's lots of famous Chicago bars, but it, it's a place called Tavern on Rush Street. And my guess is, if you spent any time hanging out in in Chicago, you know, checking out the bar scene or things like that, you've you, you perhaps— 
you know, checked it out. It's been around for at least the last, you know, 30 years. It's a restaurant, it's a bar, et cetera, et cetera. They announced last week that this this is closing. Um, it's kind of a steakhouse and it's also a bar. It's, um, <clears throat> and again, it's no surprise. What they're saying is that, you know, COVID hurt them and this economic costs hurt them and their lease is up and the landlord wants different space and all. So they're, they're closing Tavern on Rush Street, which is a place that, you know, I, I admit too that I have hung out at from time to time when I have been in Chicago. But it's another one of the these institutions, which is just you know, gone. So over the weekend, I was just talking about this with some other people that I've been known to go and have a cocktail with at that place. We, we got to talking about places closer to home, places around here, bars, that is taverns, that we used to love to hang out at, which are gone, but they're definitely not forgotten. 855-616-1620. And again, I apologize. We're, we're operating with limited phone lines. We've only got two phone lines today, but the text line is working fine. Let's have a little bit of fun as we lead up to the end of the program. 855-616-1620. That's the text line. That's the call-in line. All right. A tavern, a bar that you used to hang out at that you really, really, really miss. 855-616-1620. Back with your calls and texts in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We're we're talking about gone but not forgotten. Fairville famous bar in Chicago is closing, and actually, I've, over the weekend, I've been talking to friends about different bars around here that have closed, and thought we'd turn this into a topic. Tom and Jackson. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Tom, 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 Tom. Oh, lost Tom. I don't know. Our phone lines are a little bit funky. Tom was going to say Shrinsky's. And it's funny because I actually had this conversation. I, I was with my friend Colleen on, uh, I think it was Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night. And she was talking about how her her mother-in-law was like uh, a cook, did the fish fries at Shrinsky's. And I, I had to tell it was it, it was by Nicolay High School. It was right by where I grew up. And the, the, first, the first drink I ever, first beer I ever bought was in Shrinsky's. Now, I'm not saying whether I was old enough to buy the beer, but I just because the statute of limitations expired. But I remember Shrinsky's very, very well. Dick, Dick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Dick. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, it was uh, Long Branch Saloon in West Bend. Okay, where in Mark West Bend Chuck was it? owned it. Okay. Uh, it was on uh, Barton Ave in, in Barton. Oh, in Barton, sure. And Mark okay. Jug owned it. Okay. And Mark Doug owned it. And, I mean, it, it was just a place that back in the day, everybody was manufacturing and stuff, and they went there at the end of the day. Yeah. And he was just, it was, it was, it was cheers. Yeah. No, they, 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 see, and that's that's the thing about taverns. Thanks for, they, they are like cheers. I mean, I remember, I, I, there, there's so many of them. I guess this is kind of my, like, misbegotten boyhood. But, I mean, I remember when I was at Marquette Law School, and there, there was the Haggerty's that was on, like, 11th and Wells. And then <clears throat> there was a place called the Avalanche, which was, it was a spot where back in the day, you could get a shot of whatever you wanted a shot of and a red, white, and blue beer for like a buck and a quarter or something like that. And you had all the all the college kids would hang out there and all the people who just kind of hung out in the neighborhood would hang out there. And it was just it was just this sort of great melting pot of activity. Jeff, I miss Century Hall, a great place to hang out with friends or see live music. Unfortunately, it burned down in 1987 or 1988. Yes, it did. I um, actually was in the U.S 
U.S. Attorney's Office, and I was working on that that arson case at the time. So I'm very familiar with that. Jeff, in the 70s, there was a bar downtown called the Mad Hatter. That was a disco. I remember that. It had more than one level, and that's where we always went to go disco dancing. Once they had tequila sunrise night for 25 cents a drink, and after that one, I never had another one. Laugh out loud. I remember the Mad Hatter as well. Another one, Beneath the Streets. Yes, I remember Beneath the Streets as well. That was exactly it. It was a bar that you walked down. It was Beneath the Streets. Um, let's see. Jeff, Centennial Bar and Grill and Mequon um, on Donges Bay Road. Yeah, that was that was it before it was Centennial. This is actually before my time. It was a place called the Old Car Bar, and, and people used to hang out there as well. I know the guy that uh, ran Centennial, and later on it became Sobelman's, and then Sobelman's has just kind of closed that down. Jeff, for me, it was the left guard. Love that. Yep. Jeff, someplace else on Water Street. Yes. Um... That, when I worked downtown, that was a place that we would go and hang out quite a bit. Jeff, any of the Captain's restaurants, the bars? Yes, Captain's, which was a chain, for those of you not familiar with it, Captain's was a chain of uh, restaurants slash steakhouses that was owned by the Marcus Corporation. And they had them, they had them all over. They had one at Juno Village. They had one at Northridge. They had, they had them at various places. But um, they had this, they had in the bar, they had this like cheese fondue that I, I guarantee you, it would take years off your life and clogging your arteries, but it was still really good. Um, Jeff, I miss the Iron Hog Saloon. It was just north of Port Washington on Highway LL. It burned down about a year ago. It was our cheers. I have been to that one as well. Jeff, Judges. Yeah, I remember Judges. That was a great place, too. I guess I'm... Maybe this is kind of scary that I know all these places that people are suggesting. Jeff, for me, it was the original John Hawks Pub. Yeah, the original John Hawks Pub um, was—I think John Hawks is still open, but it's a block or two to the um, north of, of where it used to be. Jeff, I have three bars I wish were still open. The Port of Hamburg, near the airport. The Bomb Shelter, near Allen Bradley. I remember going in there. And most recently, the landmark 1850, which was also near the airport. I have been there as well with my uh, brother-in-law, Dave. Yeah, we would make that. Jeff, um, Hannah's on 6th and Locust. Also, the uh, tracks just down the step. Um, yeah, you've you've got that. There's no question about it. I guess this, the left guard, a couple of people suggesting that. I guess I bring this up again just because all these places that we know and love, you think that they're going to be there forever, and then one day you wake up and they're gone. So the bottom line is if you found that place, just enjoy it while it lasts.